Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Red Mage Podcast. Uh, today is an incredible day. Um, not only are we seeing the end of the Trump administration and bringing in Biden to lead in 2021, which is great. I'm also wrapping up season one of Quark Space. Um, <laughs> not of Quark Space. Season one of the Red Mage Podcast as I will be moving on to a bunch of new projects. Um, but with Quarkspace, I wanna I want to let everyone know that this really isn't the end of Quarkspace. It will be back in developing future iterations, but it's a long-term project as I'm bringing it into Unity. And what I wanna do is really kind of work on a series of other projects that involve other social issues as I'm kind of building on this larger project. My goal with this is really to kind of, one, make sure that I'm producing a lot of different bodies of work that support my message and my cause of social justice change, education and empowerment, uh, using games as a critical technology and finding ways to gamify systems and introduce game-based learning. Um, so with that, Quarkspace right now is wrapping up the test plays, uh, and I'm I'm working on the final booklet, uh, which I will make available on my site uh, for everyone to check out. And it will break down all four of the phases from discover, uh, define, uh, develop, and deliver. Um, so with that, you'll be able to follow my process, see, see the highlights of the research, and really kind of see what the end gameplay was like. Um, but in that, know that like Quarkspace is kind of a continuation, um, through various iterations. So let's go through what that's going to look like. So Quarkspace was originally developed in Mozilla Hubs. And what Hubs is, is a WebXR platform where you can upload 3D objects, images, um, and 3D like objects that are animated to really kind of create an immersive world. It works best in low poly, which is a style I really enjoy for Quarkspace because it kind of allows me for faster iterations. And after looking at avatars, I've discovered that just having the base functions of the avatar, being able to you know, have the hands, the movements, and being able to meet expectations of certain players, that the High-end poly doesn't really matter most of the time. Unless you're sh shipping out for like a triple A game like, let's say, Halo or something where it, it kind of helps and it's been kind of like dictated in that style. Um, but low poly is kind of making a turnaround and there's a lot of low poly games that are coming out for indie. And I've been looking at the Switch, uh, I've been looking at Steam, and a couple of, um, I think... PS, PS4 releases before the PS5 came out um, and looking into VR and, and, and other stuff for the Oculus, low poly seems to be kind of a really great way to go. I really like the stylistic elements and after having conducted some virtual ethnography in WoW, I'm, I'm really feeling that low poly is going to be the way to go. So I'm creating a, an entire style guide right now for, for the design um, on top of the design book, and it's going to be a little bit. But as I transition this into Unity, I'm I'm really looking at making a full-on RPG. That's right, a full-on RPG, which will probably be released with, with various updates with stories and stuff. Um, so this will be my first time really doing something like this. So there's a big learning curve. And that's also one of the reasons it's going to take so long to kind of push some stuff out. Um, and the other half is really looking at ways to make this affordable for everyone. The business model I'm looking at right now is the freemium model. And I really love that because you can play the base game and have people really reap the benefits out of it because that matches my purpose. But if people really enjoy it and want to support they could buy things like skins, um, you know, additional like little like prizes and things. And I'm just kind of working all that out. I really love what World of Warcraft did with the pet battles. Um, and I'm trying to figure out what would be a really cool cosplay equivalent of that. 
Um, the other thing that I'm looking at is really kind of elevating that into if there's some way I could I could put in some additional services that would benefit or behoove cosplayers in some way. Um, be that unlocking certain like resources or um, something of the sort. So I'll still be talking to some cosplayers, getting their input and and kind of shaping that. Um, now, the other thing that I, I want to mention about Quarkspace is that its first its next iteration is going to be a, a desktop and a desktop game. And I, and I want to also try to release it for mobile. Um, it depends on just, you know, like the resources I have at hand and what I'm, I'm capable of. But I would love to make it available on these two platforms. So I'm looking at how to kind of get this on the App Store, also get this onto um, Itch.io and uh, Steam, because I, I want to make this as available as possible and that players can enjoy um, the game in the medium that's that's best for them. I'm I'm a big fan of of computers because I, after being in quarantine for so long, um, and just making a friend with like a coconut, <laughs> and, and and just to keep me company throughout this podcasting system, um, my coconut's name is Megumin. Uh, anyone that's a fan of Konosuba will will understand that. But and anyone who doesn't know who what Konosuba is or who Megumin is, they'll hopefully get the um, castaway reference. And please know it's just a reference. I'm not actually talking to a coconut. That's not what they think. Anyways, um, the reason I really want to push this out for PC is because I really love the itch.io community and the steam community and there's a lot of really cool indie games that are coming out of there so i kind of see this as you know one it's a way to kind of not only get my platform out but also make it easily accessible to people and integrate it into systems that are already kind of in place um i guess the the other thing that is kind of going on with workspace is I'm really playing around with the music. Um, <laughs> this is this is kind of crazy. I never thought I would go into looking at video game music. And please, by no means am I a musician. I am I'm not classically trained in music. I'm really just kind of exploring and messing around with um, is it a MIDI keyboard and then a an actual um, electric keyboard, full on one to kind of just play around and and experiment with it. So I may be looking to work with some musicians in the future. Um, and that's also going to be a part of kind of why it's going to take so long to to really build up this next iteration. Um, why, why music is important in this, and some people will be asking, it's like, well, can't you just use some like templated music or something? Yeah, I, I could use some templated music, but one of the things with video game music is that it really hits into a state of flow. And one really good example of this is Final Fantasy XIV. There's all these videos of people kind of doing like um, memes or kind of like how they're like, they blast the music and really loving that. Um, people getting the BGM music for, for raid bosses and stuff. And it really immerses you in the environment. And a lot of studies have shown um, that video game music helps kind of like bring you into the state of like concentration and flow in which you're able to perform at a much higher capacity. Um, and it's also why some of, why a lot of gamers are really immersed into these virtual worlds. So taking the time to really kind of explore that that aspect of games is is going to be crucial. Um, other features I'm, I'm looking to add are going to be a monetary system, um, the dating and friendship system, because that's been really, really highly requested by the community. And it's really funny to me. I, I thought I was going to start off just making a 
a dating sim. But I I held back on that idea, not making you know one because I ran into a series of of problems. Um, and I want to give a shout out to the visual novel community that helped me out with Visual Novel Maker because I had uh, a, a series of problems when I downloaded it from the shop. They helped me go ahead and connect to Steam and have the updates run from there, which made a whole world of difference um, from it not cloning itself on my machine 40 times and taking up, I think, an entire, like, was it 60 gigs? Um, or it kind of shutting down in the middle of, of opening up resources. Um, and by switching over to that stable version on, on Steam... Um, and using the access key, it was all kind of miraculously fixed. Um, but in the moment when I was in crunch time, it was it was really bad. Um, and then I also didn't have the time to like immediately put into Unity. And one of the problems with that was I would have to make an entire vertical slice. And to have the music, to have uh, you know all the art, like and shout out to Shelby Draws she took on an impossible mission of getting all these character designs out for the first iteration and it actually made people want to date um some of the main npcs that assist you uh everyone is really in love with the the tentacle monster girl um and the uh the receptionist rachel but you'll you'll see as i kind of push out this book how it kind of breaks down everything and it's been a really great experience in, in having done this and having been able to do this for my graduate program at CSULB um, because there is always this hesitance that I had into jumping into the game design world and part of it came out because you know when I was in my undergraduate program I didn't really think of game design as a career. I was really into photography, really into video, and I was fully immersed in that. Gobbling down like books, tutorials, and everything for like countless hours a day. I was kind of like this like drunken hermit, <laughs> just just working on on this so far, and so much. And then I I kind of jumped into design. And, and UX and I always loved playing video games I loved designing them and it was it was weird and I would I would kind of make my own on the side um, with RPG maker um, and make a, a couple like really like you know play around or just experimental um, tabletop games but I never really went full into it and so I was always like into like the storytelling of this and as I kind of continued on after my undergraduate school, I discovered gamification and game-based learning, and I really, really loved it. And so little by little, I was kind of integrating stuff into web designs or into aspects that would kind of touch upon this, but it wasn't going full out until much later in my, in my career as a designer, where I was formally bringing in game-based learning and gamification and part of the reason is for that is that game-based learning and gamification were kind of like not really taken super seriously at first. And trying to make that value proposition back then was was a little difficult. Um, well, at least for me, maybe because I was at that time really young and like full of spirit and like not knowing what to do and trying to like figure things out. Um, when I say really young, I was like 22 or something. Uh, so, you know, fresh new eyes of the world out there um, playing around and trying to make sense of it all. Now, as I'm 29, almost almost 30, like I'm just old man yelling at kids to get off my lawn. But I've I've kind of come to embrace all that and really make that who I am. So as a game designer, you know, and that's just what I am now, like I design games. I use them as technologies to, you know, teach, empower, and and so forth. And this this program at CSELB, the HXCI program, has been phenomenal in helping me not only define who I am and figure all that out, but really bringing it in together and building a process for that. 
so that's the other thing that I'm I'm also working on going to be working on various projects on this part of it is because right now we're in a time where everything is like insane with the coronavirus it's impacted um experimental design it's impacted um various industries that rely on that didn't have like this this whole digital infrastructure to back them up in that time and it's kind of laid waste to a lot of things and as the social and political climate is starting to kind of come out of this very dubious and very just destructive era of Trump and we're, we're pressing forward there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done and a lot of these issues are really important so one I can't say that I'm okay with just working solely on Quarkspace. I need to be prolific. I need to be pushing out iterations and making value as much as I can. But we've talked a lot about value throughout these like nine episodes. But reading Professor, um, or not Professor, she might be a Professor, um, Jane McGonigal's book, uh, Reality is Broken, there is something that really resonated and kind of hit me. And what that was is, I might be butchering this word right off the, the top of my head, but notches. And it is kind of like, no notches, um, that's another thing. I was, I was talking with someone else about that. But the, the thing that I wanted to really get at was meaning. And I know I stumbled around the language a lot, but there is so much in that book, and it's a really great read. Um, the coming back to the point is the meaning that we get out of what we do and the meaning that we get out of games. And when, when I say that, the really good example that I think Jane McGonagall gave was Halo, and where they were trying to kill off um, all these alien invaders and they were reaching for one, 100 million kills or something. And as a community, each kill kind of got towards that ultimate goal. You know, and you, you don't get a prize in real life. You don't get um, money in real life. You don't get, like, some kind of crazy badge or anything. But you get the recognition from yourself knowing that you contribute to something that's greater than you. And we're always looking to be some part of something epic. And that meaning that we derive from that game is really important. It's a really powerful tool that we could utilize for stuff like education, for stuff like... Um, training for things that help kind of bring out discussions and explorations of stuff and i think that quarkspace has a lot of meaning in that it's looking at ways to help empower these cospreneurs but at the same time this is a really long-term project and i can't be working on just one thing so where am I at now? Right? Like Aaron's like, okay, like, well, we, we get that you're you're done with the first iteration quirk space, it's gonna take a long time, whatever, blah blah blah. Cool, so what? Um, and the big so what is that in transitioning to making all these other games while also working on quirk space, is that I'm gonna be pumping out stuff that will either be um free or or low cost or we'll have DLCs that you could buy to help support um, that address a lot of issues. So I'm, I'm looking at a lot of cross-sections right now of things and I'm going through the discovery process. Um, and I'm gonna be sharing that discovery process in the next episode. But it's, it's kind of hard because I'm someone that really loves the research and I get so caught up in it, but what I've, I've discovered in grad school is that I can't just fall in love with the research forever like I need it at a certain point like as a designer I need to just start making and I can sit here and go through like countless scholarly journals I could go through like book after book after book and so forth but unless I make something from all that it's not really going to be anything out there in the world and Quarkspace itself, you know, it's very, it's going to be a very robust system, but it's not going to be able to touch on everything. 
So I need to make different games for all that. And what I'm kind of looking at right now is really a little bit of what esports is doing. Um, I've had the pleasure of talking to Danny Martin from Esposure um, and a couple of others. And I'm, I'm reading through a couple books about like just the um, about the phenomenon with Twitch, about um, the kind of like rise of, e of esports as a business, as like an official sport. And most importantly, how it's being used to help, you know, um, education. And as soon as I heard of that, I was like, wow, I never even thought about this. This is great. And there's all these groups that are out there that are already kind of working on this. Um, a couple of the groups that are working on this are Esposure, as I mentioned before, James O'Hagan, who is an amazing, amazing guy. Um, I had the pleasure of talking to him and meeting him at um, Dreamland XR. Then there is the NASEF, which stands for the North American uh, North America's Scholastic Esports Federation. And there's also the High School Esports League. And I'm looking into all these and seeing what they're doing, what their system is, and how they kind of meet certain goals and milestones, and then how they mix it in. And one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is when we talk about esports, we focus primarily on the competition. And I feel that like we've we've been looking at games like League of Legends, we've been looking at Overwatch, we've been looking at a lot of like FPS games. I'm really wondering because I'm I'm a huge freaking nerd and fan of um, you know fantasy and RPGs. If there's a way to kind of bring that in, you know, and I'm just throwing this out there in the air. There might not be. It might fail spectacularly, but there might be something there potentially that helps us out or another direction i might be able to do is make something that helps kind of like organize all this or connect these groups or something that i could provide to schools that are looking to establish an esports league or you know use that uh esports as some kind of motivator to increase productivity for school or health or something um and I'm going to be looking at all these models. Um, and I'm, again, like I'm following, I'm just starting the research on this. And then I'm going to see how I could tie it into social justice. And this is just kind of one project idea. You know, I might not be working with esports. It might just be something that I kind of dabble in and, and go. Again, like I'm looking at, I'm just looking at a range of stuff. Because one of the other things that has kind of come to me um, is the the problem with a lot of young voters not going out and vote and i've i've heard countless arguments about why this is a problem countless arguments about how it's kind of our fault and i'm really curious if it's more of a fault in the system and the way that we lay things out you know and what is what are the behaviors what are the, the feelings and what are the the what is the psychology that's kind of like inhibiting people from from going out there what are what are the lacks of motivation and i'm still very very new to all that i have no commentary on it yet i'm just kind of throwing stuff out there as ideas and these ideas could be you know shot down they could be whatever but that's okay because there's a lot of information and a lot of data that comes out of that that will be very valuable to myself and the community so Anything that I make is is in search of creating value, and I and I'm coming from this perspective because I I took the master class with Herbie Hancock um, and and starting to learn about music and stuff and, and pick some things up, um, but what Herbie said in one of his classes was the purpose of a musician is to be able to respond and make value out of anything that happens in that environment. And as a designer, that kind of matches to our needs and our goals too. When there's a problem out in the world, and you know, I'm guilty of this where I've just been like, ah, oh, no, no. But 
coming out of my my first world like problems of not not getting enough starbucks coffee or something you know cheesy um i realize that there there are things that are bigger than myself and sometimes i need a good a good jerk to kind of remind me of that and to humble myself and by by looking at all this and looking at these systems it is my responsibility as a designer to be able to address the needs of things like small businesses that are starting up, of organizations that are trying to make social good, of community members that are having problems with safety or, you know, like access to resources, and helping educate people. And I'm not saying like that in like a derogatory mean, but when we look at like who has access to what and what are educational systems kind of like like across the country it's kind of all over the place and it's kind of a hot mess and then when we talk about people you know BIPOC people and what happens to their educational experiences that's something that is is pretty pretty dire and you know as a light-skinned Hispanic person, I have a lot of privileges that others don't. And I recognize this, and I want to admit to that. But instead of just being comfort comfortable where, where, where I am and not, not giving a fuck, I guess, I think it's responsible to acknowledge that and to make sure that everyone has an equal opportunity and that everyone has a ju- has justice provided so that they're not left behind and out in the cold. And we've seen a lot of ugly things this past year in 2020. And that kind of resonated with me. And instead of kind of sitting idle and complaining and hoping that someone comes to me, it's kind of up to me and my peers to take up the mantle and just go out and work and get things done. And there's going to be a lot of resistance. People don't like change. Um, people don't know what the internet is. <laughs> there's problems with like how things need to be executed and things are archaic and there's so many changes that need to be done. But until we stand up and fight in a way that is productive, nonviolent, and pushing forward without ever kneeling or kind of conceding the, to anything that denies ethics as a part of the system is what we need to do. And, you know, th- that might be unpopular opinion. It might be popular opinion. But that's kind of what all this is going to be about. So again, like I'm kind of just exploring all these things and I'm trying to figure out ways to pump out a lot of stuff and all of this is going to be kind of put on um i'm I'm hoping to to make a twitch stream um i'm working on the patreon page and i'm I'm putting a lot of care and thought into that so it's going to be a little slow to come out hopefully in in like a week or two i will i will fully have that for branding i'll fully have that ready out and a project already in the works when I say that, it's going to be in the discovery phase and we'll be going through all of that. And I'll be updating everyone through this podcast about where I'm at. And we're going to build the world. We're going to build virtual experiences. We're going to build personal experiences in an actual space. And we're going to bridge them together and see what we can do. And sometimes that bridging is really just kind of like the eliciting of like being wanting to interact or do something with someone. Um, in, in a physical space. Sometimes it might be actually maybe even like moving away from someone in a physical space. And how I kind of play with this and play with, with, with media and, and what our, our, our communal world, like kind of a world that we all experience together and in our personal worlds, you know, our room, our, our inner sanctuaries, moments where we meditate and kind of get a, a brief respite from everything that's going on is what I'm kind of curious about. Um, so, you know, there's there's a lot of things that are going on. Corkspace is kind of coming up in this book. I'll be publishing that. Um, 
and I'm looking into something with esports, I guess. Like, it's just been popping up a lot, and I've been really, really digging it. Um, but let's see what else is on the agenda real quick. Um, I do have a really good um, couple books to recommend to the audience in case anyone is actually looking into something similar. Um, Esports EDU by Paul Richards is a pretty pretty great book that I'm starting off right now. Uh, Watch Me Play, Twitch and the Rise of Game, Game Live Streaming is another good book um, that kind of goes into what this whole experience about Twitch and live streaming is all about. And I'm, I'm kind of coming in late to that game, um, but I'm not doing it for like having like a, a living off a Twitch stream. And I'm not saying that like out of spite, but it's a, it's a very saturated market and it's something that kind of like moves through a series of segment of user segments. And the user segment that I'd probably be a part of is looking at someone that is kind of producing content to help share and document this game design process and as well as a world building process. Um, so on that, um, I also want to throw out this book, Design Justice um, and Mismatch. Those are, are two really kind of great books. Um, Mismatch was highly recommended to me by a couple of my professors and it's they say it's core literature. So I'll probably be finished with that during, um, later in the week. Um, Woke Gaming, is a pretty good book i really enjoy it and it brings out like a lot of ideas um in in gaming and like accessibility and inclusivity and social justice um and another another book that i really really want want to recommend um part of which is like because i've been on this really big esports kind of like trend uh, is this is esports and and how to spell it i used to i used to spell it e dashboards and apparently it's it's esports just one word and i've been corrected on that a couple times um but it's all part of the learning process and the <laughs> the final book i want to recommend is ethnography in virtual worlds a handbook of method it's it's something that's been helping me out a lot with the way that i approach looking at stuff like wow Overwatch, um, Final Fantasy XIV, Genshin Impact, um, and even mobile games. Um, I'm pulling out my cell phone real quick because I have like hundreds of them that I've been going through to just kind of like test run and like make notes on. Um, AFK Arena, uh, MapleStory M, Maze Machina, uh, Night of the Full Moon. Um, one that I've really enjoyed was, uh, let's see. Where is that? It's a really cool game because it works with your GPS and like kind of where you are. Orna. Um, so the game's name is Orna. And I really love it because it works with your GPS to kind of like bring in monsters and you could choose different like classes like wizards and stuff. Um, and they're all weak or strong against something. And you could just kind of switch in and out, which is which is really cool. And it's a really fun little like pixel pocket RPG. Um Let's see, I've already mentioned Genshin Impact, but I play that on desktop and, and mobile. Um, and I've, I've been kind of liking that for, for study because I like checking out how it, how it transitions. Um, a great game that I really enjoy on mobile is Underworld Office. It's a really kind of cool story. Um, I don't want to give away too much. It's, it's something you should check out. It's a really fun way to kind of play around with visual novels and just the way that it's presented. And I've been enjoying that a lot. Um, but I have <laughs> have a lot on here. And I've been just kind of like looking at them and doing some ethnography into them. Um, and really taking a lot of field notes and playing these games. The other part is breaking down like the UI, uh, the, the, immersion, the immersion, the experience looking into the Kansai engineering of it a little bit, like how do I feel when I'm playing this game? Like what what is really driving me? What are the features or what are the little aspects like are the emojis or the the characters that bring to light certain interactions and, and word choices? Um 
and choices in in MMOs and games have been have been kind of evolving, which is really great. Like Final Fantasy fourteen, Genshin Impact are really good at this. Um, you have a lot of like troll or jokey choices that you could you could make in commentary back to characters. Um, in Genshin Impact, you you could call Paimon emergency food, and Paimon is his little like annoying mascot character that floats around and speaks in a very high pitched voice. So being able to kind of like just jab fun at that um, is great. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of breaking down the system for all the games I'll be making because while I, I intend to make these games like hit on, on these, these hard subjects, um, I also want to make them really fun. If a game isn't fun, then it's really not worth playing. And we play games because they're fun and because they like they immerse us and we we build a relationship with these characters and everything. So it's it's gonna be a lot. <laughs> but that's that's the fun of it. Like there's so much to kind of explore and, and mess around with and like crash and break and do and explore. I, it reminds me of kind of being this very novice um you know character in an rpg like something like i'm like a level like 10 character and going into a dungeon for the first time and seeing these monsters and collecting the treasure at the end and sometimes like the the like i remember in the old school uh dot hack games for ps um for ps2 and dot hack is this amazing series i i I love it this is actually what inspired me to like really continue and exploring rpgs and, and games and i actually got back into gamification because of it um was the idea of these like it's an rpg that has commentary on our relationship with technology and where it's going and as this rampant ai kind of like breaks loose or this ai becomes rampant and breaks loose from these like these uh creators starts putting people in the comas and then it also starts having effects on the real world by uh destroying traffic lights uh messing with like um email systems and almost like breaking out into like like full-blown war and there's like these stories that are going on in real life and these stories that are going on in game and the system for dot hack is really interesting and looking back at it now it's really funny that i became a human experience interaction designer because this is what we do dot hack not only had a game it had a television show it had um mangas which are japanese comics and it also had um these light novels which if you're not familiar with a light novel it's kind of like a really short kind of like book or like one chapter or experience from a character's perspective and like what they're going through um that is either a part of extension of or kind of like the core series that inspired um you know the the manga or animation adaptations and you know it, and it's going on multiple fronts it even came out with publications magazines that would um encourage users to buy them because then they would get like secret codes to go to like special areas to get um super cool armor and even in the show you could go to some of those areas in the games and you could unlock certain like um, hidden Easter eggs, which were which was amazing. So it was a really robust and well thought out system. And the franchise is so popular that it's it's still kind of coming out in Japan on, in the mobile series. Sadly, it's not over here in America. We the last thing we got was GU. We didn't get like Quantum and a couple other the uh, the, the the versus games, which which really makes me sad because I I love love dot hack and it is like something that is like really a defining a defining game in me as a designer and artist and as a just kind of researcher like it's the thing with with rpgs that i really love are the class systems and those class systems really parallel kind of what we do in real life like you know we in our hxdi program went into interdisciplinary teams these interdisciplinary teams were basically people from different backgrounds that are all aspiring to become designers. Myself, I came from fine arts um, and, and was working as a designer. So 
I fell in love with, with the research and it really just resonated with me. We had a stati statistician, we had a um, technologist, and we had a marketer, um, as well as someone in the, um, in the biomedical field. Um, four of us kind of like kept on person for the and and one of the others left off on a good note um because they had their dream job and that was that was really important to them and i think that was that's great that they did that um but what what kind of came on in this is that interdisciplinary teams really kind of mimic what you're doing in like something like final fantasy or the warcraft where you're getting people and saying this is your strength. This is what you're going to be. This is how you're going to be contributing to the team. Are you a DPS? Are you able to just keep producing all this stuff? Are you someone that is strong in technology? Okay, you're going to be leading this. Um, are you a good public speaker? All right, you're the tank. You're going to be going out, taking the brunt of the action from like talking to all the people and doing stuff. Um, are you a researcher? Cool. You're going to be over here as a support character, like just helping us like keep everything up and keeping everything going. Or there's sometimes we even had people that were not necessarily in our class that just come in and work with us. And it was really cool. Um, we had some people from the psych building and human factors come in uh, and join us. And they offered and provided a lot of insight that really helped refine us as, as designers and researchers. And as a researcher, like I, I, I'm good at I could, I could deal with like some of the numbers and I could do all that, but where I really shine and what I'm, I'm, I love doing the most is the field activities, the notes, the kind of like the, the whole ethnography aspect of it. I love looking at quali qualitative data and I do balance that out with quantitative um, as part of mixed research method. And it's really important to do that because you, you can't have like it behooves you to have one and the other to balance each other out and, and highlight certain things that you wouldn't be able to get from just numbers or just look at for interviews. And it's really kind of like getting like all this gold extracted from these qualitative methods. Because let's say that you have a bunch of numbers and there's just some, some oddities with them. And then you go fo follow up in this email and you interview outliers, you interview people that are that are kind of bunched together. And then you start getting a lot deeper insight into that and what I what I found too was that not everyone really puts a lot of trust into the qualitative aspects of this and that's that's shooting yourself in the foot I guess with Kansai engineering was when I was pitching it to someone I said well it's kind of getting about how people feel and, and what, what they're thinking about about certain stuff what you know when they're using this and they're like why do we need to know how someone feels like oh i had a bad day and they're they're going off and they're ragging on it but how does that impact the way that you're you're doing something if you're trying to sell something to someone or even get them on board with your brand your message or whatever you're doing and you're interrupting their space and you're coming at them from an angle that's just kind of like trying to extract a yes out of them or trying to just get them to do something almost forcibly. It's, you know, you're, you're not really going to get that. Or if your product doesn't feel right, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big miss. That's going to impact your sales. That, that, I see like a lot, even if like the, the marketing is good, like if it doesn't feel right, you're risking a lot of returns and you're risking a lot of like losing a lot of customers. And if something, if someone isn't feeling something in the way, like, you know, not vibing with this, <laughs> to put it in millennial terms, they're not going to really get on board with whatever you're doing. And then with qualitative measures, you know, like asking them about all this and getting input from them, you start filling in all those gaps too. You know, it's like, okay, well, we, you stated that you don't, you feel that you don't like this. What about that don't you like? What's making you do this? What about this? And you start patching in all the all that miss, those missing blocks and you're getting input directly from your community and from your user segments. So you know what they want. You just need to make really minor changes and then push it on out there. And 
sometimes it might even be the psychology of it. It might be a certain color that doesn't resonate with the values of that of that user segment. Or it might be, um, you know, there's some kind of other obstacle that you haven't addressed in the system yet that makes it difficult for that user. But what I did hear is that they'd be like, oh, well, sometimes we get some good nuggets from people through word of mouth and that this kind of comes in and helps us address a certain thing. And it's hard to do, like, you know, I'm not trying to rag on them. Maybe just a little bit. <laughs> no, but it's hard to do because when you, when you start talking about feelings and emotions in a system that kind of is just focused on you know like productivity efficiency and and extracting everything they can out of people um man it sounds really really strongly worded but it's true um it it starts kind of like not really feeling like it as great of an impact like if i if i were to bring in like the emotions of of users into let's say like a political climate like yeah, there's a lot of strong emotions there. But what can we get out of that? How do we filter all that? Or let's bring it into something that I've done a little bit more, more research and can, and can have something on. Like, let's say about mobile games. Let's say that you have like a certain character and it's just like not like I'm not feeling that connection with them. But that's a really cardinal character that people need to care about in order to kind of like, you know, you get surprised at the very end so then you find out that there's something that you need to change with that character is like you know either disposition uh, make some adjustments to like how they how you know certain actions they take correspond to to words and then you kind of play with that and you know build something out and that input is really important and i and any of these aren't the the highest quality examples because i'm just kind of riffing off the top of my head but Qualitative data is something that is a gold mine for any business, for any any company, and to not utilize that or even kind of bring it into your process, you're going to be getting half the picture. And it's really important to know that. Um, if you're you're really interested in kind of looking at more of, of that um, in the future, uh, shoot me an email at joshuaindesign.com. Um, I would love to get you know hear what topics you want to me to expand on, so I could I could actually kind of like have something a little bit more structured on that, and not just give you like a quick riff on it. But tying this all together, I'm. Transitioning out from the first iteration of Quarkspace while I make it a long-term project. I'm gonna I'm starting to explore all these things and I have an inkling that there's something there with esports that I'm gonna really enjoy working with. And then I am going to be tying in a lot of this qualitative and quantitative data um, through this process, sharing it with you as I kind of journey along. Um, and ultimately establishing a Twitch stream and Patreon page. So as I'm kind of pumping out some of these games, we're, I'm going to have some some cool prizes and cool redeemables. Um, I'm, I'm looking at other models, I'm getting some input, and I'm really kind of laying down a strong structural plan for that. Um, because I firmly believe that if someone's part of your community, you want to take good care of them. And as as a game designer like the worst thing i feel i could i could ever encounter is being bored or boring and i and i hate that so much so what i want to do is make sure that everything that i do that i'm bringing my community in with me is going to give them something really fun really delightful really useful and something that that just has meaning to them not just the value of it. I mean, value is going to be an aspect of this, but what it means to be a part of this community. That might be even some world building books, um, some some 
maybe some workshops um, and a couple other things. And on an ending note, I want to give a couple shout outs. Um, check out Move Together. They're an amazing group that is working to for uh, pr producing a bunch of workshops to educate and empower um, underrepresented communities. Um, check out Nerds of Mass Destruction. They are on YouTube. Um, I'm actually a co um, not co-host, but I'm a guest star on there. Sorry, I confuse guest with co and whatever because it's collaborate, cooperate. But I, I guest star on there um, with Ryan Castro Miller. Awesome dude. We riff and we have a, a really good time talking about um, a bunch of things that are are nerdy, um, weird, and sometimes supernatural. Um, and then do keep an eye out on my website, joshuaindesign.com, as I will be um, posting posting updates on there for, for uh, Quarkspace with the design booklet. Um, I will also be putting a lot of stuff on Twitch pretty soon, which is Joshua Ian Design, and on my Instagram, which is at Joshua Ian Design. So go ahead, like, follow, subscribe. This is the Red Mage, and I would like to say thank you very much for your time. Keep it cool. Keep it red. Stay nerdy.